Our New Testament reading this morning is from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, and it starts with the ninth verse, and it goes like this. After this I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and always. Amen. Then one of the elders said to me, Who are these people wearing white robes and where did they come from? I said to him, You know. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to give you a little glimpse into the sermon writing process for me. It goes a little bit like this. I pick a passage, usually several months in advance, so that Elizabeth can help plan music, and so Rebecca can plan her thing, and we can all sort of be on the same page. And so I pick something like four months ago. And then um, every week I sit down and I go, why did I pick that passage? (laughs) Right? (laughs) What was it that we found so interesting about this passage when, when we picked it four months ago? And then every week I try to read, I read the passage with new eyes and I think, hmm, What is it that God has to say through this passage? What is it that God wants people to hear this week through this passage? And some weeks that comes really quickly. I sit down and I'm like, yes, got it. Sermon written, done. Monday, I feel really good about myself, right? And some weeks I read the passage and I think, hmm. I'm sure there's a sermon here somewhere. I'm sure there's a sermon here somewhere, right? And then I pray about it and I think about it. And then on Tuesday... I'll read a little bit more about it, I'll think about it again, and then on Wednesday, I'll think about it some more, and then Thursday, Jeremy will say, hey, do you have your sermon written yet? And I go, yes, of course I do. And then Friday, I'm like, hmm, maybe I should write my sermon, right? Because sometimes the passage, the message in it is so obvious that I can't think of anything interesting to say. Sometimes the message in the passage is so obvious so clear-cut, so routine, that it's hard to come up with something new and interesting to say about it. And this is one of those passages. Now, Revelation is one of those books that sounds scary. It's got this, like, special aura about it. We think Revelation, and everybody goes, ooh. And we have Sunday school classes about it every three years so that we can figure out what it is Revelation is trying to tell us. Does this sound familiar to anyone? I took a class in Revelation in seminary because I felt like I should know what it is that this book is about because it's weird, right, and different. But it turns out the message in Revelation is not that weird or new or different, and it's not that scary of a book. It's just a story. It's a story about God's vision for the future, about God's promise for the world, about who God seeks to include in the kingdom and what we need to do to be a part of that. It's not any different than reading your favorite novel or a sci-fi book. Now, what makes Revelation so confusing is that we take these verses out of context. 
So we don't really understand what it is that they mean because it seems so divorced from any kind of meaning. We lose the picture, we lose the overall narrative. It'd be sort of like opening up Moby Dick and reading just chapter four and then trying to figure out what the book is about. It's one of the few books that you really have to read from end to end in order to understand it. And in this case, in this particular verse that we read, it's between the sixth and seventh seal. So there's been a lot of destruction. Sixth, the sixth seal, everybody is fire and brimstone and raining fire and everybody's really scared. And they're all ready for the last seal to be opened up. And God says, let's just take a little break. I know you might be a little nervous. You might be a little scared about what's about to come. But I'm going to give you a little glimpse into the future. It's an interruption into the narrative. It's an interruption into the story. It's a reminder that in the midst of even the destruction of the world, God has a promise. The world is literally being destroyed. The, the earth is ripping open. People are dying from pestilence and plague and war and famine and disease and all kinds of things. And God takes a second to pause and say, Take a deep breath, because here's what's coming. Because one day you're going to be at a table in the kingdom of God. And there's going to be people there from everywhere, from all over the place, people from now and from then and from the future, and people who are speaking languages you've never heard before, languages that haven't even been invented yet. There's going to be 144,000 Jews there, and there's going to be a great multitude of other people there. And what it reminds us is that this is a place of peace, of unity, of purpose. It's an unbelievably huge number of people. This is the promise that we're all going to sit at the table. Now, there's one message that goes from beginning to end in the Bible, one message that is clear from beginning to end in the Bible, and it's this, that God has a vision for creation, and that is a creation that is at peace. God created the world good in seven days. God created the world to live together, lightness and darkness, goodness and badness, animals and fauna and flora and bugs and all the things, living together in peace, and we screwed it up. We messed it up because we wanted to be in control, because we wanted to be God, because we wanted to be in charge of things. We wanted to decide who got to get along with one another. And the entire Bible is a story of God trying to reunite people back at the table. Now, I don't see a lot of that going on in the world these days, of people trying to sit at the table. And it's easy for us to kind of be smug about it and be like, well, we're really smug people who like, to, like people and we want to be good and nice and we're really nice to everybody, right? And it's easy for us to think that we are reaching out and trying to unite, but the truth is that we struggle sitting at the table. We struggle trusting in the promises of God, the promise that says that there will be peace. I was reading the other day about how our society has literally become desocialized. Now, a big part of raising children is teaching them manners and how to be nice to other people and how to live in society. That's basically what you're doing as a parent. You can't change their personality. Lord knows I've tried, right? 
But you can teach them to not put their elbows on the table, theoretically. You can teach them to pick up their room, which we're still working on. You can teach them to be nice to one another. And what we found is that over this year, of all the things that we have to do to be safe, we have become desocialized. We literally cannot be in society with one another. Now, it's easy to blame anger on people being mean to people at the restaurant. You've read these stories of airlines having to like duct tape people to chairs, or you know all the um, people who are the cashiers at the checkout counter who are getting yelled at, or customer service people who are getting yelled at. And it's really easy to think that those are not Christians who are doing that. But the truth is that when I was in, uh, when I was waiting tables, the worst crowd, the one that nobody wanted to work. Sunday afternoon. The meanest people who came to our table were the people who were coming from church. And so what is it about us? What is it about us that we can't be socialized, that we can't see the truth of God in one another? What is it about us that makes it so that we can't sit at the table with one another, that we can't be kind to the cashier or to the person who's coming to us to help, that we can't be kind that we can't maybe just follow the rules because this person who's making minimum wage is asking us to follow the rules. The Bible tells us a few things. One is this. Time together matters. It's really hard for us to be kind. It's really hard for us to be Christians. It's really hard for us to see the promise of God if we never spend time with people who are different than us. One of the ways we do this that's really common is that we never spend time with people who are a different age than we are. Think about in your last month, how many times have you interacted, meaningfully interacted with someone who was a different age than you were? Or we don't spend time with people who are of a different socioeconomic class than us. We surround ourselves with people who are like us. And now it's not always easy to find ourselves in situations where we're with people who are different. But time together matters. And if we don't choose, if we don't seek out those opportunities, if we don't meaningfully spend time with people who are different, then we cannot have a relationship with them. The other theory that I have is that we're just tired. (laughs) We're just exhausted. We're exhausted and it's hard, it's hard to reach out to other people and to be kind to other people and to open ourselves up to other people when we're tired. I don't even want to talk to my family sometimes when I'm tired. Sometimes I just say, can you go away please? I'm tired, <laughs> right? Because I, I don't have space in my life for them at that point. I need some rest. And the truth is that we are tired and it makes it harder to be kind. It makes it harder to live into the vision of God. And here's my third theory. We don't have time to have conflict. We don't know how to have conflict and resolve those feelings. And so what ends up happening is we have conflict with one another. We disagree about something. It could be something really small or something really big. And we never take the time to resolve it. And so we just sit and are mad. And so we remember that time 30 years ago when someone dropped our casserole dish in the kitchen and we never resolved it. We don't take the time to do that. 
We have to sit at the table together. The time together matters. We may be tired, we may be exhausted, but it matters to sit at the table and to see people who are different than us, who think different than us, who looked different than us, who talk different than us. One of the ways that we can do that is simple. When you leave today, don't talk to your friend. Right? Take 30 seconds and talk to somebody that you haven't talked to in the last month. It's not a huge number of people. We don't have 3,000 people sitting in this room, but I bet you it won't take you time to think of one person in this room you haven't talked to in the last month. Take the time to do that. Or maybe you can recognize that everybody else is tired too. Maybe you can take the time to recognize that we're all exhausted and we're tired of being mad at each other and we're tired of disagreeing with one another and we just want to be friends again. We want to live in the peace and unity that is promised to us. And I don't want to wait until we get to heaven to do that. And maybe we can recognize with humility that God calls us to the table in the first place. God calls you and God calls me, and I may disagree with every word that comes out of your mouth. I may think that your political opinions are stupid. I may think that your sports teams are silly, because mine are obviously better than yours, except for Steve's, which is obviously perfect. <laughs> well, no, because we're Jets fans. They'll never be perfect. <laughs> but maybe we can try that. Maybe we can admit that we don't know everything. And that maybe you come to your opinion and your thoughts and your experience because you come from a different place in the world than I do. Maybe just a little bit of humility. And maybe it is that we realize that God calls us to the table in the first place. And we remember that we are a people who are called to be united one with another. That means I don't get to be in charge sometimes. It means you don't get to decide what other people think sometimes. But invite them to the table. Sit and drink a cup of coffee. Eat some cookies. Seek out people who are different. And be open to hearing what they have to say. It's the one message of the Bible. God created all of us equally. You and me. And God loves each one of us equally. You and me. Even if even if we disagree, maybe especially the word of the Lord. <laughs>